Hello and welcome to the 146th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what the influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developers themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Mages of Nostralia by Borealis Games. Patrick, who are you? And Hello. what do you do? So, uh, so who am I really? Uh, that's that's, that's a tough, actually a tough one. I'm I'm a passionate designer. I would like to say I'm I'm uh, really just just a guy making games. I have have been making games for quite a while, uh, mostly for big companies, and uh, I I I am someone who who loves to play games and talk about games. I love I love everything about them. I love video game art. I love video game music, and uh, I guess that's 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 really what I am. You know, when I when I'm with my kids, I want to play games. I always want to play. You know, I, I don't do I'm not good at sports that much. I, I wanna I wanna gamify the sports and the, the the time I have with my kids. And so I'm yeah I'm that kind of guy. Okay. And uh, what is it you do at uh, Borealis Games, did you say? I'm not sure. So I am a creative director at Borealis Games. I, uh, I worked on a game called Mages in Australia there. My, uh, my responsibilities are more or less, uh, you know, making sure that, that the vision, the overall vision of the game and the experience is, uh, is preserved and that it's uh, consequent from beginning to end. Uh, I also uh, work with uh, both the artists and the designers uh, to uh, iterate on their work and uh, make sure that we, we deliver you know, uh, a game that, that is as close as possible to, even though it's not possible to achieve that, but as close as possible to the, the, uh, to the potential that it has. Okay. Um, that's, that's quite a responsibility. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's not, it's probably um, a thankless task as well. But um, before we go yeah. delving into the present, um, let's talk about what, how do you made your start making flashy, lighty video games. How did you make your start doing that very thing? Well, well we, can go, we can go as far back as you like. Oh, I can go back. Oh, I can, I can go way back if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I think that even as a kid, I, I started um, learning programming very early. Uh, I was, um, you know, one of... One hobby of mine was was playing video games, obviously, and uh, I also played just you know other games. Like uh, we had something when I was a kid that was very popular. I don't know if it's still a thing. Uh, it's they were like um, you know uh, storybooks, like uh, small small books that you could uh, play your own adventure. I don't know how they called them. Player yeah, well, in the UK we had. I think they made it across to Canada as well, which is where you're based. Um, fighting fantasy books. Yeah, pretty um, much with the dice. It's, it was like a reminiscent of uh, Dungeons and Dragon games, yeah, but yeah, on yeah. the book, choose your you know the next page. Do you want to attack the monster? Go to page twelve. Do you yes. want to flee? Go to page two hundred and nine. Yes. Page two hundred and nine. You die. Oh crap! Yes. And now and you, of course, you, page page four hundred. <laughs> you've won. <laughs> so you learn to use bookmarks and stuff. So I know. Or fingers. Uh, you need about all your fingers jabbed into the book, <laughs> so you could retcon what you've just done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at that time, uh, 
so yeah, I was a kid and uh, I liked those kind of games and I started making these as a hobby. And as I started learning to, to, to code, I would code uh, adventure games like these that were entirely text-based. Uh, uh, again, along the lines of the very first you know, Space Quest and Police Quest and all the quests. And uh, it's, um, it's something I enjoyed very much. And it's really not something that I thought I could make a living out of, you know, uh, ever. It's not something that occurred to me. But I still love that so much. And I you know, did it for fun, really. So, And I, I kept on doing that. And eventually, uh, much, much later when I... Uh, I finished uh, college, I had a diploma in uh, interactive media, so uh, I was uh, now uh, supposedly savvy and uh, all-knowing and everything, you know, communication, mass media and, uh, you know, internet and, and stuff like that. And, uh, but I, I thought that uh, this, this, whole, this whole industry lacked the creativity that, that I, you know, I remembered uh, having a lot as a, as a youth as a kid and uh, so that that's what pushed me to uh, to 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 uh, for you know in, in the beginning it was more like a again a hobby like making maps for for Warcraft 2 uh, maps for Starcraft when it got out or for uh, first person shooters and oh, wait you did maps for Warcraft 2 um, of course yes of, of course. course you did of course I played that a lot a little bit too much um I, I was rubbish, though. I wasn't say rubbish. I was just adequate. I couldn't see... I couldn't project my tactics ahead far enough. <laughs> no, I, was very, I was very reactive. If I thought I had a reasonable force to send across that was made up of just junk, I would just... I, I wasn't grunt rushing for the sake of it. I just didn't know any better. So, <laughs> but, um, so that's really fascinating that you you did a little bit of programming on text adventures. It was the easier sort of thing. Although, speaking personally, I did that very early on, and I immediately went off to weird arcade games to because I loved arcade right. games, and, right? And oh, that, yeah, that's that's a whole monster that I don't want to go back to. Hit detection, oh god, that was really hard to develop anyway. Um, but then then you went off and did mods basically for, for existing games, which I do hear it's a lot on developers coming on and saying, I started off making content for other games basically. Yeah, well, you, you know, it's it's really it really is the, the easiest, fastest way to come up with a creative and nicely, um, you know, put together piece of work uh, that you can actually show. Uh, you can put on a, put on a CD or USB. At, at the time, it was a CD. Now it's not that much uh, CDs, but more like a, a USB key and just to bring it to an employer or a, you know a company that you admire and show them your work. It's easy to do that. So I think it's a fine way of doing that. Um, for me, I, I, I still, even you know, despite the time I spent doing that, I kind of didn't believe I could make something out of it until um, I came across a uh, program at the university. It was a post-grad certificate at the University of Montreal near uh, where I lived at the, at the time. And uh, they had, like, it was a video game study, really. It's not something very technical. It's not something, you know, I would necessarily recommend to everyone. But it was a nice way of just delving into the video games uh, universe, getting to know, you know, what are, uh, well, first of all, how, how to, you know, 
uh, how to to analyze and and criticize uh, uh, creative work, which is a, I think a very important part of you know, any game de developer's uh, work, uh, being able to decipher or, or uh, um, to see. Uh, in in a game that you're making or in somebody else's game, what what makes the game you know do well and what are what are its flaws so that you can eventually work to to uh, to make the, the game better. And uh, so it, it learned uh, it, it taught me that program taught me a lot uh, about you know having a, a very uh, uh, critique sense on on video games and also uh, be being able to to uh, uh, find the proper arguments when I'm talking about about games and why we should uh, do you know something or not do something when we work on a feature or on a game mechanic and so it, it gave me tools right but um, it also gave me the the confidence that I, I was indeed at the you know, in the right spot that it's it confirmed what I thought was was the case that I'm, you know, that I'm born to 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 work in video games, uh, to uh, to uh, work in that that industry, that wonderful industry, and um, so uh, from that point on, I, I did all sorts of things from freelancing, uh, freelance work uh, with some companies. I also did uh, I I taught uh, video games at in college. Uh, there was a class uh, called pro, uh, video games pro prototyping, which I. Uh, I had the pleasure of, of teaching um, one one more about a more graphic design, which was something I was very comfortable with because of my my uh, uh, multimedia or media uh, school uh, diploma. Uh, and uh, eventually, you know, I got a like a real full time job in the industry. It was uh, uh, it was at GameLoft, a company that makes uh, that makes mobile games. Mm -hmm. So for a while, that's that's that was you know that was my family, that was my place, and I really enjoyed and cherished the the time that I spent there. Uh, there were some some very very talented people there, some uh, with whom I, I work now at Borealis, uh, and that's that's how I really you know climbed slowly climbed the ladder and started uh, getting to know each and every one of the little. Uh, the specialties that there are in the video game design, uh, uh, well, design aspect of, of developing games. So either scripting, level design, game design, uh, system design, narrative design. So I, I kind of uh, skimmed uh, through all of these these um, uh, these uh, special specialty fields, and eventually uh, got to lead my own projects. And that's that's. And that's about the point where I thought it was it was uh, time I left the company and started my own thing because I, I was at that point now you kind of start seeing all the politics and all the the maybe less glamorous or less interesting aspect of making games, which is trying to having to defend your ideas against people who only talk business and money and, and marketing and stuff. So uh, so that's the point where I, I decided, hey. Uh, you know, I'm gonna start about. Uh, I'm gonna start to think of uh, the next step in my career. Okay, that's that's, that's quite a story. Uh, that's why I, I fell silent. I, I wasn't hadn't drifted off. Uh, <laughs> but just to be, all listeners understand. I always give my guests space to expand on what they've done, and I was gonna jump in and hear bits here and there, and eventually answered the question that I was gonna ask you as you were talking. So well done, 
trick. You almost uh, uh, prescient oh. in that. Yeah, I, I passed the test. <laughs> you did. You did. Um, uh, I, 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 I think you know you're here to talk, and it's not for, you know, for me to, to to jabber on. But uh, yeah, I think the key thing, one of the things you said about you had, you gained tools to have a greater appreciation of the art of making video games, because that it is. Um, it's not just the you know the the visuals that's an obvious piece of art isn't it i'm talking about the overall creation of them and i've i'm fascinated and one of the reasons that i you know this show exists is the concept of design with a capital d of the overall experience of playing a video game it can be as and small and as benign as simple as you say text adventure although that mm. has its own elements of design to it now especially interactive fiction that you now have which is very advanced compared to oh, yeah. what it used to be um whereas versus something like a great sprawling 80 hour epic of you know jrpp proportions they still have design uh, about them and i found that the recent maybe 20 years or so people actually understood that oh wait you have to design this stuff (laughs) 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 you know and they you know rather than just churning out um just the same old sort of side-scrolling sort of licensed platform that you had on the mega drive and that kind of thing which they they did churn them out it's, it's really yeah. interesting that you um, that you mentioned uh, interact, interactive fiction and all of yes. that because it's yes. it's actually one of my my I mentioned I did the freelance one of these um, one of these uh, projects I did as a freelance was for a research project at the university when I was still studying and um, it was a uh, interactive fiction project from a professor at uh, Concordia University in Montreal uh, called uh, Oliver Dienz, and he was making a game. Like, it was a really uh, I don't know if it, if we can call it a game or yeah, it's a nar- narrative based adventure basically where you would explore the territory the uncharted territories of post-humanism it was was a really weird he was a literature teacher really and so uh so we went about and created a a, some sort of gamification or exploration sandbox for this universe that was Mm. making um it was very interesting how because he had no knowledge of design whatsoever and uh, so, so we were we were through that uh, that research project, and we ended up, you know, uh, going through the process of how do we design an adventure and experience for people who are like, uh, uh, you know, from the academia who are actually more into uh, the very intellectual uh, texts and, and lectures and and trying to uh, make them live an adventure using their own. Uh, their own material, their own lecture material. So it was, anyway, it was, it was a, an interesting thing, and that that was pretty much my very first game design experience. Uh, I think my, the, the the first true one, the first true love. <laughs> wow. wow, there it is. Um, and uh, yeah, I was expecting to say, oh yeah, we use Twine for that, but uh, that's that's something. Oh, no, we use yeah. the Google Earth. We we oh. hacked, we had the code of Google Earth with the key keyhole. Uh, key key something uh, markup language KML, okay. and uh, we we uh, we hacked the, the the crap out of Google Earth and made this 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 uh, weird Frankenstein creature out of it. Uh, I'm sure co- Google won't mind at all. <laughs> he says, lawyers, hold off, put the pitchforks down. It's fine. <laughs> it was a research project. Let it go. Um, so my next question then. Um, 
is a bit nebulous, but every developer who've answered it that I've had on the show uh, has answered it very honestly and hasn't chastised me for asking it. But I'm going to ask it anyway. What are your biggest influences as a creator? Um, uh, in video games or in general? Um, because I, pr- I think principally this show is about video game creation, so I'm going to have to ask you focused on that. Else, we'd be here for hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. That's what I was saying. Like, I, I draw inspiration from so many different you know areas of my life, but uh, for video games. Um, you know, I respect uh, many of the uh, the famous video game uh, developers of you know the the we could say the uh, the pioneers of the industry. There were many of them, uh, but there's one you know above all that I that I think is my my true mentor, and it's that's Miyamoto for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it's easy to to just uh, say yeah, well you know. Of course, Miyamoto. So he made uh, he made Mario. So obviously, he's by default the you know the greatest designer. But I, I I really think it's more than that. But because in when you think of design as a as a uh, you know as a specialty as a as a as a profession, like I'm you know I'm a designer with a capital D, like you said, like you, you can for video games, like there's only really one person who kind of uh, Initiated the, that that idea that video games had to be uh, designed just like an industrial, you know, uh, design product, uh, like you would design a, a toy or like you would design a, an everyday life uh, item, and and that's that was uh, that was Miyamoto's creative process. He 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 basically uh, invented this this new field. Uh, which is video game design, and he he uh, approached it with such uh, uh, meticulous uh, meticulous observation of what what players or what um, what players want really when they they play a game that uh, that it it opened so many uh, it actually influenced so many other developers too in the end when you think of uh, 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 platformers how platformers were influenced by Mario or how adventure games were influenced by Zelda or uh, you know uh, I could go on and on and like uh, you could even say that of uh, uh, Donkey Kong as a as a whole like as a uh, room based uh, kind of a room based puzzly or action puzzle uh, game yeah people don't give that game enough credit with regards to its complexity uh, I know, if you don't saying that this, this is a little aside because I love retro games and stuff because you learn a lot from how design has evolved over from that period to now but that game you know most people have only played one or two screens of it because it's devilishly hard um, it really is but if you it's, it's extraordinary I mean everyone knows that first screen with the ladders and stuff but that's a tiny, tiny portion of that game. Yeah, and 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 it's the creative process behind that. Like when you yeah. think of the, the the history behind creation of that game, which is absolutely like you, you guys should look it up on on uh, on Wikipedia and in uh, on videos on YouTube. I'm I'm sure you can find them. It's it is quite a feat. Like they they basically. Uh, hacked uh, like arcade machines that they had printed out for a previous game that did not do well, and like uh, it's it's a, a very um, very uh, thoughtful uh, game. And there's the narrative design of Mario trying to uh, 
trying to to reach uh, that princess with a, a, a very uh, well uh, very well designed narrative. Uh, and so, anyways, you, you guys should definitely look it up. It's uh, it's uh, like you said, it's a great game, and and people tend to forget that this one was. The, the the game that paved the road to Mario, uh, the Mario yeah. series. Who was only known as Jumpman at the time, you know. <laughs> Jumpman. Uh, that's yeah. what he was. He wasn't even a name. It was just a dude yeah. with a hat on. The only reason he had a hat on because to make sure that he could differentiate between him and everything else on the screen. It yeah. was that kind of... They had no pixels, you know. Um, but, yeah, fascinating stuff. And to say you were inspired and influenced by such a, a, a great figure and also recognising his brilliance of recognizing that what he's done and what he did do and what he continues to do is extraordinary. He has an amazing mind to actually create something that is both engaging, fun, and educational. And, and it's the accessibility of his games also, which yeah. I think are very um, are very interesting. And uh, it's because I, I love all you know uh, you know uh, uh, Sidnier, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Peter Molyneux. Uh, I, I love Listen. many many of these 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 very iconic game developers. But but, but uh, it's it's really what I think makes Miyamoto's games very unique are uh, how accessible and how easy they were to get into, but how hard they still word to master like the, the easy to uh, easy to learn hard to master kind of yeah I mean, the original uh, zelda was pretty punishing actually i mean yes you could oh. go anywhere but don't, don't do that <laughs> <laughs> which leads us on to uh uh majors of australia because that's like yeah you can go there i wouldn't though um so i mean probably the, the next question you probably already answered i was going to ask you know what developer did most in the industry and why but sounds like it's going to be miyamoto or maybe someone else so, so I'm sorry. So, who who in the game industry did what? I'm sorry. Do you most did... admire? Do you most recognize? Oh, oh yeah. Their... Well, yeah. yeah. So, so obviously Miyamoto is one of them. But if I can name drop another yes, one, and I yes, would like yes. to, I would like like to name a uh, more of an artist. I think, uh, and it's, uh, again, I'm very. Uh, uh, I think that again, it's more in the accessibility and the vision that the uh, the long term vision that he had for the games that he worked on. But that would have to be Chris Medzen from Blizzard, uh, who worked on as an artist on the Warcraft franchise from the very beginning. Wow. And uh, as he has he and I'm a huge fan of Blizzard too. Uh, by the way, and as he, he grew in the company, he kind of, uh, I think it beca- he became, I, I think at the end he was when he left, when he uh, retired, he was the um, VP head of uh, IP development or IP uh, friend, uh, story development, something like that. Okay. Uh, so, so he was really in charge of the, the worlds that they were creating in the story. And I, I wanted to point out uh, to you guys how... Uh, how extraordinary that guy is to have created a world with Warcraft, uh, the initial Warcraft one. Uh, if you if you have if you still have the instruction booklet from uh, Warcraft one, you'll see that he was actually making all the concept art for Warcraft one. Like you'll see the grunt and the footman, all you know, with his nice uh, sketch sketchy art style, uh, medicine like details. And but he also fleshed out this uh, background story in that characters. And even though Warcraft one's narrative design was somewhat simple and and didn't have that very profound uh, storyline. It still had, it was still very, um, uh, very rich and 
it was very well well designed. Uh, you know, all the character design, the the the, um, the the visual design for it, and it was so well designed that they they were able to make all of these sequels and eventually a game with World of Warcraft, who what which became maybe one of the the most uh, one of the massive maybe games of, of our time. Uh, definitely, even if you don't like the style, and I frankly personally cannot play MMOs anymore. It's, it's something. It's it's both way too uh, time consuming and uh, repetitive for for me. But uh, but still, we need like for uh, by seeing how many people play that game we we cannot not recognize how big of a of a or how important of an ip it is it has become no it's an excellent response and not an uncommon one uh, i've that's the one thing that really struck me about playing world of warcraft way back still remember it's a very fond gaming memory i have of first running out of um duratar and just running out and it's like what the hell is this <laughs> but it's just uh, yeah. a stretch. I mean, just going up a little hill. It wasn't very much of a hill because I was only level two at the time or something. And just sort of, <laughs> you know, saw a goat um, munching away at some grass and just saw this vista, this sort of vast plain of desolate plain, which is where, the, you know, the, the, the orcs are. And it just stretches on for miles and miles and miles. And like, wait, I can just run there? And it just kept... And the, the, the sheer... Majesty of it all, and the, the, it was really just blew me away. And that's the one thing that I, I knew that I mean, I played EverQuest before that and other MMOs, mm-hmm. but they all had little boxes, you were just in little rooms. Some of these rooms were quite big, but ultimately, there's still one box after the other after the other. Whereas WoW didn't have that or doesn't have that. You know, you just keep mm-hmm. running. <laughs> I mean, that we all know that there's technical widgetry and how they did that. How they were still, they were actually technically zones, but you just yeah. didn't see them. It was brilliant. It was seamless. Um, so yeah, uh, it's and uh, yeah, that art style. If you look at you know Hearthstone, um, just that that for me, that game is one of the most beautiful games they've made. Well, that's that's one thing I uh, I think I love about uh, Blizzard and Nintendo both yeah. uh, is that they they are uh, they they tend to favor art styles that are more uh, cartoony and more stylized maybe and and these these art styles tend to age well so mm. so I I. I Challenge you to play a uh, you know a, a good old 90s uh, first-person shooter or a uh, even a game like uh, EverQuest. Uh, the the art style really makes 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 us uh, uh, you know uh, cringe at at the graphics now when, when when we play them. But if you play uh, even the vanilla version of WoW, simply because they're aiming for a more cartoony uh, feel, or if you play Mario 64, which is one of the earliest uh, 3D platformers, you, you you don't cringe as much. Like it still feels somewhat natural and yeah. and yeah. acceptable. It is. I actually did some streaming of some old DOS games about a couple of weeks ago. Um, oh. th- that's not a mean feat, by the way. Do- streaming old DOS game on an original Windows 90 f- 95 PC, running, <laughs> running DOS 7. Um, I wasn't doing DOSBox. I was running it on an original, you know, machine. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was really quite proud of myself. But, but yeah, streaming VGA <laughs> is not. It's not easy. Don't, don't. Don't try it at home, kids. Um, but I did it. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was playing games like Heretic, 
which is like a oh, well, which is basically yeah. a reskin of Doom, but in you know wizards and things. And yeah, you're right. <laughs> that, um, gameplay wise, it's fine. It's great. It's just you know, but other than, yeah, the whole style. Everything it was all nineties. It was all <laughs> they were obsessed with big bulging eyes. I don't know what was it about. <laughs> Everything had big jaws and also played Dungeon Keeper as well and the whole well, style was just like why has everything got bulging I don't what, what were you going with that? What were you that was a thing back then, I guess. I don't know, but yeah, like I said, this uh, I was streaming from an old DOS machine, and the, the the machine's like a if you had it, if you took it back then, it was worth about three grand, three thousand pounds, maybe three four thousand dollars or something, because it was yeah. like a Pentium one thirty three with thirty two megabytes of RAM, and it had a, a Matrox Millennium two graphics card in it. It was ridiculous. It is ridiculous, but now it's worth about fifty cents. Uh, but it, <laughs> the fact is, I can play all these old games on it and stream it and stuff. But you're right. Thinking about it, those those visuals, yeah. But then again, you things you see like Wipeout, for example, which I also played on this machine. Because believe it or not, for everyone, they they made Wipeout for DOS back then. Don't ask. <laughs> uh, and I played that, and like, oh, that still holds up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some of them, some of them do. Yeah. Sure. But you know, it's Designers Republic. What you're going to do is kind of timeless. So my last question to you um, for the first half. So well done. You made it. Made it to the <laughs> first half. Um, what are you playing right now? Oh, cool. Uh, good question. Uh, well, so you mentioned uh, Hearthstone. Yeah, once in a while yeah. I play Hearthstone. It's very nice. easy to pick up. But yeah. I, I, don't, I don't even consider it uh, gaming. It's more like uh, on-the-side gaming. That's my, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's a thing you do, it's, it's, yes. And on an iPhone, it's, uh, it plays perfectly. I, um, I, I think uh, um, currently... Uh, I'm into uh, a new game that just 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 came out, which is Void Runner. Uh, it's a space shooter, 3D. In ways, reminded me of uh, a little bit of Descent. Uh, just came out, so uh, I was uh, just checking that out a little bit. Uh, prior to that, I I was uh, checking out uh, uh, Hollow Knight, which is a very neatly done uh, game, mm. very well put together. So uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's a very, very good uh, pairing of, of, of games there. Um, I'm playing a lot of Race for the Galaxy on my iPad. Uh, we had them on the show recently, and uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the card game Race for the Galaxy. Uh, uh, it's quite no, famous. I, 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 it rings a bell, but no, I didn't play it. Yeah, it's quite famous, but uh, it's not easy. It's uh, one of those card games where it has multiple, multiple symbols that... You, as long as you match them up correctly, and it's just really complicated. But once you get it, once you get the 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 logic of the game, everything else falls into place. But it's the right. grasping of the logic. <laughs> it's the tricky part. It's, it's always grasping the logic. It's always, it's always the always core been. logic. It's like oh yeah. Okay, so um, that's the first half over. Though. Well done. Um, excellent. Um, <laughs> So let's uh, go on to the second half where we delve deep into Mages of Mistralia. Alright.
So, we have the Zeroth question. Regular listeners know what I mean by that. It means it's not really a question, it's me giving you a chance to pitch to me and the audience what is Mages of Australia. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. Uh, Mages of Australia is a action-adventure game uh, in which the player plays a, as, uh, plays Zia, who is a young mage, uh, in a world where magic is forbidden. And uh, Zia uh, learns to do magic because she has that gift. And uh, as the player uh, you know, pursues his adventure or uh, continues on his adventure, he, he uncovers or he unlocks runes, which are components that are uh, used to create and design uh, whole new spells. So Mages of Australia is a game about designing the right spells to, to, uh, to solve the puzzles and uh, fight the enemies that will be, you know, put on your path to uh, unlocking the, the mysteries and saving the Valley of Mistralia. I, I did think uh, the whole setup of the story of, um, of Zia, she, she being uh, the seventh daughter of the seventh daughter of the seventh daughter and stuff. I was like, <laughs> and you don't go that far, which is great. Um, or if it's Discworld, it'd be the eighth daughter, but we, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, she's, she's wonderful. I, I think I'm immediately drawn to her. She's... Uh, she doesn't suffer fools uh, at all, uh, and uh, but she she wants to get stuff done quickly. Um, but uh, yeah. but she, yet she does sometimes respect authority when it when it suits her. <laughs> sometimes, uh, yeah, sometimes um, she does put her wand away when she goes into towns and things like that, <laughs> fear of being arrested. Um, yes. But um, we don't want to give any spoilers away because it, it it does uh, what I love about the game, and I can't. Congratulate you enough in completing it and releasing it, and in, in the, in the, in the, it's wonderful um, to see it. It the game it starts off very simple and very sort of straightforward, and 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 sort of gently pushes the player and go off you go. Very quickly though, <laughs> it will suddenly yeah. widen out and expand and give credit to the player's intelligence, which is something I love games doing. Is they grant the the player like. You're not dumb, are you? You know what to do here. I, I'm relieved that you that you point that out because it's something that, as we developed the game, we were uh, wondering: is is it is it obvious enough that we count on the player's creativity and, and intelligence to solve these? Because that's you no, know, in some points, and we didn't want to dumb the game down either. We didn't want we we wanted. We wanted the game to be accessible, and that's again I mentioned it before. It's something that I, I like from Nintendo games, and I, I think it's something that every game should aim to do: try to be you know easily picked up and easily understood by anyone. But really, we were wondering because our magic system is really a we're trying to build to make an experience of what it would be to be a mage. You know, magics in the magic uh, spellcasters in, in the various fantasy settings, they're always linked to either intellect or charisma, or you know, depending on what uh, what system you're using in a you know pen and paper RPGs or just uh, JRPGs. Sometimes it's cunning or or uh, you know, all all of these. They all, you know, more or less evoke the 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 uh, a sense of of ingenuity. And creativity and intelligence and wit and so we that's what we wanted our system to be about not 
memorizing stuff, not not uh, you know grinding experience or experience points and and gaining level up, levels because what are levels really? You know that, that's not something we wanted to 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 do. Like no no we're we're not you're you're just you're just someone learning. You're not you know magically leveling up and and gaining new abilities just just that you know that that essentially are are nice in some in some types of games but are but are not necessarily uh, interesting as a as a narrative element and as a storytelling element when you play an adventure no it's 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 down there with Thaco, isn't it now forgive me audience if you know what Thaco means that's to hit to armor class zero that's a horrible horrible concept in first edition of dungeons and dragons which has never been come to light uh, it's horrible maths it doesn't make any sense and mm. also it draws you away from the experience you become you know when i'm playing dnd i don't like to focus much on numbers at all no. i simply say oh you've hit them quite hard they're bleeding quite badly now rather than then say oh you hit them for four points of damage what does even that mean <laughs> no, well, there you go. And if you play as a level twenty and you have two hundred points of HP, then 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 you're you have a whole new uh, definition yeah. of what it is to lose for HP. And so when you play, I, I ask you this: when you play uh, Diablo or Skyrim or I don't know, you play, uh, for instance, you play Diablo and um, you 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 hit for for two thousand damage, but yes. you, you still you know whether you hit twenty in the first. Hour or hit two thousand in the you know the twentieth hour, you still deal pretty much approximately ten percent of the each the enemy's damage. So then why bother with the levels and the progression? Yes, if it's the, the, all, the, the, you know? the thing about Diablo is it's a clicker. <laughs> that game's yeah. yeah. a clicker game. It's basically yeah, I, it's just sorry, Patrick, yeah. but I just want to go down this path. It's it's basically you sitting there as a power trip, killing everything. Yeah. <laughs> cow, cow clicker. Calpicker two thousand. No, but but it's it's I I do acknowledge or I do recognize there is fun in uh, the but it's a different type of fun. It's more like yeah. a it's more like a, a, a game of chance. It's more like playing uh, you know at the casino like oh I'm gonna hit that enemy. What's gonna drop now? Because that's that's essentially the, your the fuel or the fun that you get out of it is uh, how cool the stuff that I'm gonna get when I hit that enemy or boss. But uh, all in all, it, as a, a adventure or you know in that that point of view uh of being an adventure and living through you know a story uh it does not really help that uh it's actually quite useless in that manner so that so that's so anyways that's i it was a long uh it was no no no, it's fine because i've got a second question to ask you and it's related to what you've just said but you haven't delved deep, deep, deep into it, and I want to expand on it. The spell system, clearly the characters are mage, so they have a spell book, which talks yeah. to them. I shouldn't mention that, but it does. Um, so the spell system uh, is quite in-depth, rightly so, because you're mage. Uh, and um, the more you play Mages of Mistralia, the more complex your spell book becomes. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you, it's... I'm going to describe it to the audience now. It's basically a book with each spell. There's four different spells. There's more than that. But it's just for the sake, there's a number of different spells. And they have a grid, a very strange geometric grid around them, which you can then insert glyphs or things, I don't want to, again, give way too much, into them. And depending on where you place them, that depends on what they do. Um, how did this evolve? And could you tell us a little bit more about its creation? <laughs> 
Sure. Uh, it's it's obviously it's the first thing that we developed in the game. We built the the whole Mistralia adventure and story and characters and challenges and even the 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 the, the gameplay itself was kind of created to support this spellcrafting uh, system. So that's the very first thing that we, we came up with. And uh, we even started thinking of that system before we started Borealis as a, as a, as a company. Uh, it's something, even before we, we, we uh, started uh, talking about, about you know, making the actual game, uh, me and uh, Felix, my, uh, my business partner, we always, wanted to to see a game of you know magic where uh, we craft or design our own spells and we we played magicka when it came out and it was it was huge we had tons of fun and we played it and we were wow that's cool that's exactly what we had in mind like in and after maybe four or five hours of playing it then we we stopped and we said okay so it was very nice it was super cool but it, actually no it's not quite what we had in mind when we were thinking of a awesome uh, spellcrafting system we were more thinking of like the intellect of a mage like how do you put together or how do you get to know the, the, the you know the magic energies in the universe enough to craft a spell, design an effect for your spell, and uh, so we we started working on a way to um, to map or to graphically uh, graphically show a, uh, a spell's effect or a spell the process of a of a spell effect. Uh, so, for instance, if you have a uh, fireball, uh, you know how can we graphically show uh, a player what are the different components defining the spell fireball. So obviously there's fire, but there's also movement implied. What else is implied? Where there, it's all, there's also the, the, the fact that when it hits something, something's hap- something happens, it either dissipates or it explodes. Or, or you know, depending on the setting that you're playing, it's gonna have a different effect. And so we, we decided to, 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 uh, to uh, dissect the spells that we knew uh, from from various uh, fantasy settings and we came up with the the, the raw essences or the, the the smallest possible modules of or components of of behaviors for spells and uh, the, our first step uh, was to you know find a way of uh, plug, plugging all, each of them together into a glyph or a spell that we use in the, in the game yeah and I, I, I've I love playing around with that. Oh, I could do this now. Oh, wait, no, no. I can now make it do this. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it, when you later on, it gets really quiet. You, it gets into levels of um, Diablo levels of pyrotechnics later on. Um, <laughs> you know, this is quite fun. Uh, yeah, that's basically the Diablo. Going sorry to go back to that would be. Um, it's like, what is this spell? Kills all the things. No, no, what does it do really? No, it just kills every. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> but thankfully, the pyrotechnics doesn't go to the point where you can't see what's going on, on the screen, which is exactly what happens in Diablo. Um, it does. <laughs> yeah. You just hear. I mean, when you're playing, I've played with a friend, and there's like, you know, you walk into an area and go, okay, can you just start firing off now? Okay, I'll just, okay everything's exploding. Like, is everything dead yet? No, keep shooting. <laughs> um, so. I want to talk about the puzzles now because, for for the benefit of the audience, uh, it's not a first-person game. It's a third-person action-adventure game. I hate to slot it into that place, but that's where it is. There's much more to it than that, but ultimately that's what it is. And there are puzzles uh, in the game, on the environment, that the 
the characters confronted with. And I just want to talk about some of them, they all require some fathoming on how to do them. But I also noticed there's an element of, I'll use this phrase, dexterity in order to complete them on the part of the player. In other words, mm-hmm. there's timing involved. They have to, they may know how to do it, but now they're going to have to do it. <laughs> um, how have you balanced the understanding of how to solve puzzles like that versus the ability of the player to do them? So, um, I think that uh, by watching other action-adventure games, um, and there, are, you know, there are many more modern... You could, we also obviously looked at the classics too, but uh, in the more modern uh, action-adventure games, you often see the, uh, the puzzles usually involve a lot more of uh, exploration than actual puzzle solving, meaning that you need to look around the corner uh, and notice that there's a switch or that there is a dent in the wall that you can hit in order to access a switch that, you know, that will be behind it. Or, you know, it's, it's always a matter of observing the environment and finding the, the small detail because there's always one uh, that's left there as a clue uh, uh, and that allows you to complete the puzzle. And uh, we didn't want the, our game to be about that. Like, there's a little bit of that, but it's not, that's not how we wanted to solve the puzzles. Obviously, we, we created a whole spellcrafting system. So we wanted to, to make, you know, to, to, to want to support that experience of making spells. So, no, solving puzzles had to be about spells. And uh, but we also we were also very aware that some of our players would not be as uh, as efficient a spell designer as others. So uh, we we tried to make spells that that kind of had a little bit of both the the skill aspects and the spell creation aspect of it. But uh, you like the more experienced players of Mages of Mistrella will notice that um, more often than not. It's uh, it's possible to solve puzzles with uh, little or no skill if there if you if you really think of a the proper the proper spell design. So meaning that there are multiple ways of solving most puzzles in the game, and some of these solutions involve uh, a less twitchy or a less uh, a less skill-driven uh, gameplay. And uh, and I think that's that. That's maybe one of the, the nicest things about the exploration and puzzle solving in uh, Mages of Mistral. It's it's really, you know, use use your imagination and if if you're stuck somewhere and you don't have either the skill or the spell uh, the spell you know design uh, skill, you'll eventually develop either and you'll get better at it and you'll be able to, to go back there eventually uh, return to that spot and and nail it. There are times when I think, should I have done that? Should I have solved it like that? Because I've done I've done a puzzle completely. I don't think they want to be solving it like that. <laughs> <laughs> and because there's multiple different ways uh, yeah. I found, and I'm thinking I'm sure Patrick uh, Patrick is watching me like, no, Chris, don't 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 do that. No, but that's not true. <laughs> that's not no. true. I mean, it's a, it's a I've I've been to many expos, many many shows, and I've played a lot of um, shows where the developer's standing right behind me, and uh, I'm playing the game and. Earlier on, I got a bit sort of uh, paranoid, people thinking I'm an idiot playing this game, especially puzzle games, when I'm playing a puzzle game in front of a developer, thinking, you must think I'm a complete moron not understanding how to do this. And it's not <laughs> the case at all, ever. They are not no. judging me at all. It's quite the inverse. They, you're, you're watching me because you want to make sure that 
A, I'm having fun with it, but also, it's, it's, does he get it? <laughs> does he, it's, are they the understanding and, and that kind of thing? It's not, it's not judging at all. It's quite the opposite, not judging. Yeah. And uh, yeah. for me to say that, oh, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm sure Patrick will throw things at me for what I just did. Because sometimes I've done some ridiculous things just to get it done. Like, <laughs> well, no, I can fire a fireball from here. I'll just do it from here. <laughs> just like see it ping around that that'll be fine they won't mind you know and it's like well it solved it <laughs> just move but, on yeah no, I, it's and i think it's a very rewarding uh it's very rewarding to think that you kind of broke or or got around the puzzle or cheated it it's uh it's not something that you want to remove from the players i i, I for one i'm much more uh i'm much more worried about Players not having fun making, yeah. you know, solving puzzles than 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 cheating them. Like I, I, I would rather see them cheat the puzzle and, and get it than 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 getting stuck there for ten minutes and, and getting yeah. frustrated with the game because There's because one, we, we play games for, for fun, not for yeah. for being frustrated. There's one very early point. I won't do exactly where it is, but there's like a couple of moving platforms. I only use one of them. <laughs> it's like that bit. The whole section of it went. I don't need to worry about you because I can fire it just, just as it reaches that point. I just blast it. There you go. <laughs> Done. I don't have to jump onto you. I'm all right. You're, you're good. You can go back into forwards. I'm good. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I don't know. Um, but um, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's wonderful. It's just like, yeah, that's great. So speaking of visual design, which I wasn't, but I'm now about to, um, I want to ask you about the design visual because one of the things that struck me about uh, Majors of Australia um, more than most games I've been playing recently is there a lot of contrasting colours. Mm-hmm. A lot of contrasting colours and textures well, within the art style, the presentation of the game. It's also similar, it's still fed through to the sound as well. It's lots of jarring, not in not a disruptive way, but lots of, I don't know, it seems to be popping out of the screen and also my, my speakers more than most games. Was that a deliberate intention to do that? Yeah. Yeah, well, it, more or less, it, we mm. we were aware uh, we were aware that the music uh, like stood out uh, m- more than in other games. Where um, we were trying to to have a more um, how would I say this? We didn't want the, the Hollywood approach to making video games uh, video games music. Um, our composer Antoine Vachon, who is very talented, is uh, uh, you know he's you know, he's uh, he was. Intentionally trying to go for a more uh, charge, I would say, m- m- melodies and more intense uh, arrangements that are more reminiscent of music that you would actually listen to uh, in your living room just for, you know, just, you know, just while, I don't know, like while reading or uh, just, 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 just plain listening. And uh, he, he wanted uh, that uh, music to be very present and very, uh, very bold. Because we have a very bold art style and a very bold uh, bold game direction in, in general, so our game is is uh, you know it's very colorful. It's uh, it's very um, you know there's a lot of uh, effects uh, popping, uh, but at the same time we made sure that when when you enter your spellbook and you can test it in in game when you open your spellbook we switch to a uh, toned down or a smoothed version of the music so we dynamically switch to a track of the music which is more mellow and more. Uh, 
that allows the player to be more focused on the spell. So we wanted this 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 contrast between you know the the moment where you concentrate and you think and you you create, and that moment when you you just you just uh, uh, use that that creation of yours uh, and that you you watch the firework and you 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 are amazed with with the game and what you've created with it. Yeah. The visual and audio feedback for Major Pistolia uh, is extraordinary, and I just wanted to. Hope you've done a great job of expanding on how that came to be, and it's just even in the deepest, darkest forest, you still have that mixture of bloom and character and colours that aren't just green and black, which you could have mm-hmm. easily done, uh, but you didn't. You went another route because, quite frankly, the world that it's portraying is quite dark it's not in a good place it's got to be said it used to be Mm -hmm. but then things went south quite badly for reasons that are revealed in the game and you're there to put it back as it was and uh, you know it's yeah really really intelligent way of using colour and texture and light as uh, and with the exceptionally exceptional score that contrasts with that so well but marries with it as well so the Mm -hmm. last question I've got um, it's really I want to talk about the combat now because that's very important in this game yeah. um, the combat becomes a lot more involved as the player explores the world timing, knowing when to actually commit yourself to a strike button mashing does do no good at all, trust me <laughs> <laughs> you can do it initially but then eventually it goes, yeah no that ain't gonna, that's not going to fly so at what point did you feel you given enough the player enough tools and teaching aids for them to for them to understand that a combat is not about button mashing but also choosing your time to strike and knowing when to back off and defend yourself but also and it's a related question but maybe two questions one so apologies for that everyone but I just want to <laughs> because there's another aspect is that also knowing where to, you can go to or understanding that where uh, somewhere it may be open you f- for you to go to, but unfortunately, if you did go there, you get stomped on very, very quickly and, and, and brutally. Um, you know, it's basically what I'm saying is for the player to understand that they can enter places, but it may not be safe for them to do so. Well, at what point, or do you, did, you know, at what point did you feel you've given enough player tools to understand all of those things? Well. <clears throat> First of all, I, I don't like to uh, to gate a player's progression or to prevent him from going places he shouldn't. Like we had to do it at some points in the game, and I, I think that everyone and that's 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 a bit sad. But uh, uh, and some some players pointed that out in their their comments, uh, whatever on on um, on the Steam uh, forums, uh, and and they're right. Uh, at some points, we had to create a very linear progression to avoid that, but. Ideally, I think any game, any adventure game, wants the player to just feel like he's not uh, he's not uh, following a uh, a straight path or a rail. Like you want to, to feel that, uh, even though that you're you're compelled to finish and complete this the, the quest and and learn what what happens next, you 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 could if you wanted you you could just do something else and uh, just just uh, not care for saving the world because it's, it's sometimes it's very hard to be a hero. It's hard and all that pressure, man. Wow. So, yeah, I know. Yeah. so, uh, and, and I think that uh, exploring some areas that uh, you should go to, 
is 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 natural for players and uh, I think our game does not prevent that uh, past a certain point and when we decided that that point should be once you get one of each uh, of the three spell um, or rune types I'm sorry so the uh, we have behaviors we have triggers and we have augments uh, players who've played the game will uh, will remember that so uh, at the point where we where we teach the player no so so here's what the, the spell system is about. You have these three uh, spell types or uh, spell component types, and you can make all sorts of spells with them. Uh, I think that at that point, we felt that the player was, was uh, knew the, the system enough uh, to, to know what his limits are. So when he sees an enemy that's, that's obviously too you know, fast or too strong, uh, and that with his, the, the tools that he has in his spell book, he, he you know it's not probably best not to defeat him then it's i think it's that's the best way of of teaching that you know have the player uh learn firsthand how, how you know how he should go about and destroy an enemy and if if he sees it feels and feels that he's not ready then he's not and he will have learned that but the only uh, thing i think it's and it's it's maybe one of my biggest regrets with mages mistralia so far because we we still want to update the game and, and make it better is that this this um, this this feeling of having a spell that is just right for the right enemy, uh, like you see in you know the good old Zelda's and even the new uh, Breath of the Wild one, they they do that like these games are super, superb with the design, the enemy design, and how a specific item is meant for you know going around or the the defense of that enemy. Uh, you can think of like the big knights holding a shield, and there's always a way to to circumvent that defense. And so we would have liked to have more enemies like like our imp uh, sh shaman who capture the fireballs or like our gargoyles uh, who uh, turn into stone to avoid uh, taking damage so we have we have these these enemies who are able to to force the player to design a very specific spell and if we if only we could have designed we could have had the time to design more of these then i think that your your example of you know limiting the player's whereabouts we would have Never had to block the enemy progression with with uh, with with items or with the you know the story progression because that would just flow naturally and I think that's the utopia of any adventure game is not having a hard blocker you know go get that item and then you can break that rock and go no the the ideal I think path is just making the game flow naturally and that's that's something you know uh, we learn from it any from every project that we make and some, it's something that I learned from making mages of Australia and I'm confident that in the future like it's going to make our next games even more awesome and 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 uh, interesting for their players so uh, so I'm only uh, I'm only um, uh, taking the, the good the, you know the, 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 the good aspects of that and turning them into new tools in my in my toolkit. Yeah, excellent response, brilliant. That's that's um, what I suspected. What was going on when I was playing through it? Like, well, you know, I can go down there. Oh, that's not a good idea. <laughs> you know, and I I call that um, the um, Skyrim. Um, <laughs> Skyrim <laughs> syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> Skyrim syndrome. You can go down there. Yeah, fine. You were gonna get chomped. On. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. You remember Morrowind? Yes, I do. Well, that's that again. All right, fine. <laughs> um, so, well, there it is. 
Patrick, we're all we're all done. Um, thank you very very much. For, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Thanks thanks to you, man. Was, yeah, uh, I hope you got a lot out of it. I certainly did. Um, talking to you and letting, getting you to expand on this extraordinary game that you've made, uh, and I uh, can't congratulate you, congratulate you and your team for making uh, for making this title. It's, it's it's awesome. Now, well, what's it available on? Can you tell us? Yeah, so it's available on Steam right now, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, we are. Uh, very close to announcing a date for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Right. Uh, and we do have more platforms in mind for the future. Uh, we, we're still working on a project. We're not going anywhere. Uh, still <laughs> still uh, working with this this game and making it uh, the best it, it can would, be. Yeah, it would work really well on the Switch, says he. And um, I, I, I didn't yeah. want to say that, but yeah, no. I didn't want to say that because I've... Uh, I've uh, I've heard some developers uh, mention the Switch and and uh, uh, that it worked against them for for Nintendo because they're they're a very odd company to work with. But yes. it, yeah, we're we're um, that's also something that we we love that console. We love the Switch. Uh, I really can't tell you more about. Of course, our you're not. Of course, not. This, maybe, but maybe it, it should have been. Yeah, it was unfair of me to raise it, but it's fact, <laughs> no, it, it exists, you're, isn't it? You know, so you're actually right to 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 raise that point. It's an awesome console, and it will it would uh, be a great game for it. It would fit well, and that's a perfectly fair <laughs> thing to say, Nintendo. Yeah, stop it. <laughs> Leave him alone. Um, but uh, so, and on Steam, it's available on PC, Windows, and Mac. I can't remember if it's on Mac as well. So no, for for Mac, it's a bit, a little bit of the same same situation as the uh, consoles. So right. we'll be able to announce uh, more platforms uh, shortly. Uh, currently, it's only PC on Steam, unfortunately. Okay. But we're That's working like, hard for the, these these Linux and uh, Max guys because we know uh, you guys you guys exist out there and we're not yeah. forgetting that we have uh, we have a long uh, to do list for Images of Australia so you can stay tuned in the next uh, uh, in the next months we we are, we tend to be I think very uh, active on our uh, either Twitter or Facebook feeds and uh, uh, we we will definitely keep you guys updated. Yeah, yeah. Well, do keep us informed and see how things are going. But uh, in the meantime, Patrick, thank you very, very much for your time for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. Just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, you listen to the show, and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Also, don't forget to check out the Computer Game Show, which is the stablemate podcast, shall we say, of spong.com. Bye!